Welcome to the Why We Surf podcast from way out west and wide open, wonderful Wyoming. And while the deer and the antelope play, we'll ask the question and hopefully answer it, why we serve. Hugh, Kristen, welcome to the podcast. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. It's a bit of a cloudy day here in Cheyenne, but I don't mind it. We've got been getting a bunch of heat lately, so it's nice to have this cool, cool weather coming in. A lot of meetings this week for me. We had a, well, I joined a Zoom call about the expiration of the CDC eviction moratorium that has me worried about a lot of renters, not only in Wyoming, but just across the country. And hopefully, you know, states and, and local areas are doing their best so that uh, people do not lose their apartments, and do not get evicted. And you know, the meeting also had me fired up to really want to make some moves in that area and help people out with rental assistance and, and all that. So it was frightening, but also kind of invigorating. How about you, Kristen? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. I'm also enjoying a bit of a cool off from the last couple of days. I like a good rainy afternoon. Um, I've been on some pretty interesting meetings lately surrounding home modifications and emergency rental assistance. So those are going really well. It's encouraging to see actions happening, especially with the uh, expiration of the moratorium. That's hopefully going to be helpful to a lot of people getting some emergency rental dollars out there. Yeah, I was right before the podcast, I was on a phone call with a friend of mine who's a real estate agent down in Colorado. And we were talking about that coming to it, the the moratorium coming to an end. And we were just kind of like, it's going to be interesting to see how, what happens from that. So we'll have to see and hope things will be okay for everybody who's struggling out there right now. So, but um, Hugh came up with a good icebreaker for us today. And we also want to say welcome to Kristen, uh, our newest co-host for our podcast today. So welcome, Kristen. Thank you very much. Kind of throwing, throwing you to the fire, as they say. The question that Hugh came up with, and I'm asking it just because, uh, so take that, Hugh. So I, I actually can't take credit for this icebreaker. <laughs> it was Kristen who, who thought up the icebreaker. So, <laughs> well, okay. Well, then, Kristen, now seeing how this is your first podcast as a co-host, why don't you ask the icebreaker? Then go for it. Sure. Uh, the icebreaker question is: Where do you like to spend your free time? Hanging out in Cheyenne. What do you? Where do you? Where do you like to go? That's a great question and one that's changed over the last year and a half. But, uh, you know, there's lots of good spaces to go to. Always enjoyed hanging out at the Paramount Cafe, especially now that they've got that nice garden area out back in the murals. Let's see. Uh, I walk my dog around the city commons area just about every morning past the library and everything. So that's a nice walk. I don't know. What about you guys? Well, for me, I've probably spent most of my free time at Holiday Park. I am in very quick biking distance from there. And so I will go and bring a book or maybe a soccer ball and just read. If there are not too many geese around, I can sit on a bench outside of the little pond and and read my book or juggle the soccer ball. So that is probably my favorite place. And I've loved going there over the summer and it's not too bad in the winter either. So I'm kind of curious. You said if there's not too many geese, is, do they steal your soccer ball or or, or what? 
I'm just wary of them, you know. <laughs> I haven't had any incidents so far, but I I've heard I've heard stories, heard tales. They can be feisty from time to time, yeah. You got to watch out for them. I'm also rather wary of the geese. <laughs> I tend to make a huge circle around any gaggle when I see them anywhere near me. <laughs> <laughs> I also I also like to frequent the parks. My go-to is Lions Park. Mm. There's some pretty fun walking trails. You can kind of make a different loop each time. And there's also a pretty fun playground that I enjoy. It's got a lot of uh, climbing accessibility, which is fun. Nice. Well, that question today ties in with the two guests that we're welcoming onto our podcast today. We're both city planners. We have Charles Bloom, the Planning and Development Director with the City of Cheyenne. Hello there. Welcome. And Mark Christensen, Planner 2 with the City of Cheyenne. So Charles earned his Master's in Urban and Regional Planning from the University of Colorado, Denver. Is AICP certified, which for people not in the planning world is the American Institute of Certified Planners, a nationwide independent planner qualification certification, and prior to coming to Cheyenne was the principal planner with the city of Laramie, Wyoming. And our other guest, Mark Christensen, also earned his master's in urban and regional planning from the University of Colorado, Denver, is currently an AICP candidate and interned under Charles in Laramie. Before coming to Cheyenne, he spent time as a city planner in Oregon and Colorado and even did a year of AmeriCorps service. So thank you, Mark and Charles, for being here with us. We greatly appreciate your time. And also, you know, at Habitat, we are grateful to Charles and Mark for their dedication to sustained affordable development. They have been incredibly supportive of Habitat's mission, and both of them were keynote speakers at our recent Affordable Housing Awareness Week, where Mark talked about the planning and regulation barriers to affordable housing, and Charles spoke about the possibility to shape an opportunity-rich future for our city through intentional planning. So again, welcome today, guys, and thanks for being on the show with us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much for having us. Yeah, and to follow up on an icebreaker, wow, favorite place to, to be in Cheyenne been here for three years and as a planner one of the things we really like to emphasize is great public places and great public spaces one of the favorite places i have it also is holiday park Um, i do like to go travel to holiday park where i usually meet up with a group of friends every wednesday during the summer and we do something called the slow roll where we can bicycle around at a leisurely pace all across the community so you can get to know and feel your community. And it's so much fun to be in a group of 40 to 50 people on a bicycle and you see all the neighbors pop out wondering who you are and you can ring your bell at them and, and they smile and everyone loves to see a group of people on a bicycle. So rarely do you see people unhappy. But that's one of my favorite places here in the city. Nice. Yeah. I'll go ahead and jump into with my favorite places in the city. So I am actually born and raised in Cheyenne. So I took a little break and then uh, did all my education and came back. But I really enjoy being in the downtown area, places like the Paramount, as Dan had mentioned. And I think it's really fun being in the West Edge now, too, seeing some of those places start to take hold with the Civic Commons and Blacktooth Brewery. And I think there's going to be a lot more to come, too. Absolutely. And uh, Charles, just a follow-up question for you. When you guys do the slow roll at Holiday Park, are you guys wary of the gaggle of geeses as well? We stay clear and we try to avoid any uh, anything they may try to put in our way. 
<laughs> there you go. Well, Charles, you mentioned you've been in Cheyenne for three years as the director of planning and development for Cheyenne. What are some of the changes to the city you have seen and overseen in your time here? That's a great question. That's a great question, Dan. Really, I find this kind of funny, but the first change I really wanted to note is our furniture. The furniture in our office has changed. People might look at that and say, well, why is that important? Well, when I walked in back in 2018, honestly, it looked like a grandmother's bra shell. A whole bunch of different pieces of stuff everywhere. People uh, scattered everywhere. No sense of organization. Limited staffing. Uh, a lot of people that had not been here for very long. And just no organization. So one of my major goals here internally was to create organization. So first year we went through, ordered all new furniture, all new supplies. We ordered uh, new workspaces so everyone had a consistent, clean environment to, to work in. And once you're in that clean environment, what that allowed for our staff to do was to start thinking clearly and thinking focused on the task at hand. And our primary goal here at Planning and Development Department is to serve the public and to carry out the plan of Plan Cheyenne. So once we got all of that loose, extra stuff that really probably shouldn't have been there out of the way, they really let us focus on, on our goals. One of the biggest changes that I've seen behind the scenes with the city of Cheyenne is how we do business. Um, we were oftentimes viewed as a barrier towards development. We were viewed as unfriendly. We were viewed as the, nope, you can't do that type of group. So we implemented a yes, we can type of policy. Instead of telling someone no, we said, hey, how about this? That may not work exactly, but you might be able to do this to get it to work. So we really worked on, on shifting the culture internally so we could help move development forward. Now, on the city side of things, what the public generally sees, in the last three years, it has been a whirlwind of development here in Cheyenne. We have had a whole new housing development magically appear out of the plains called Sweetgrass, which is on the south part of town. Just today, we had 149 lot residential development um, considered by the city council. We've had extreme growth on the northwest part of town. Again, we have about 250 residential lots that are under review and, and ready for approval that just occurred this year alone over there. Plus, we're seeing a lot of infill development in great areas of our community for new apartments and new housing options. For example, on Pershing Avenue in the middle of town, at Ridge Road and at College Road, we're having about 400 new apartments that will be constructed in that area. And that will be right alongside new retail, an existing grocery store, existing uh, fast food, new restaurants, new services, and even a, a new Dollar General store that's proposed. So we're creating opportunities for people to live and people to shop in the community and in new areas of the community that might not have seen those amenities before. But overall, long story short, Shan is growing. We're anxiously awaiting the census numbers so we can see how large we have gotten in the last 10 years. Yeah, I, I think that it's going to be, well, I mean, not a surprise because you see all the changes in the growth in the city, but I think it's going to be a, a, an interesting number when the census comes back. 
Mark, for Affordable Housing Awareness Week's panel on the barriers to affordable housing, you gave a presentation titled The Four P's of Planning for Affordable Housing. For our listeners, could you quickly run through the four P's and then what are Cheyenne's biggest planning challenges when it comes to affordable housing? Yeah, thanks for the question, Dan. And I was really happy to speak at Affordable Housing Week and wanted to thank you guys for the invite to that. I thought it was a great event to draw some community interest and put the spotlight on a pressing issue that is just going to become more pressing as time goes on. So the the four P's that I discussed were perception, placement, planning, and permitting. So when we talked about perception, what we were really talking about was the community-ception for affordable housing and the different levels of affordable housing. I think one thing that's really important when we think about affordable housing is that affordable housing isn't just low-income housing. It's housing for different income levels and different types of jobs that people have in the community. You know, Based on our trajectory, we need to start thinking about affordable housing for those people that might work in the education field or work in, you know, as a bank teller or anything like that. Um, Affordable housing is really important to think about those different groups. And it's also to think about maybe different age brackets that need affordable housing too, such as senior housing and that sort of thing. In addition to perception, we also talked about placement. And when we think about placement, we would like to think about affordable housing and especially low-income housing being close to transportation, looking at transportation options with their availability to get to those goods and services that they need. So having proximity to goods and services is very important and having that transportation option is important too. And that often comes with infill development. I think a lot of times when we think about, uh, a lot of times the more cheap land I would say is located on the periphery of the community. And oftentimes those aren't the places that have good access to transportation or good proximity to goods and services. And we also wanted to think about when we think about placement, not just having a certain section of town being that designated area of affordable housing. We'd like to see it more interspersed with the rest of the community. And that kind of directly ties into planning. And with the the planning aspect of it, our long range plans and other documents need to be intentional about including affordable housing goals. We need to think about providing these locations for affordable housing and just really have that proactive approach. And then lastly, when we think about permitting, this is kind of where the the rubber hits the road with when we actually get to a project, how can our development requirements be more conducive to affordable housing? We think about parking requirements and dimensional standards and variety of housing and when we think about those sorts of things, the, the parking requirements, your setback requirements, your required open space, all of those things really feed into if a project is feasible on a specific site. So when we think about all these things together, there a lot of them do become challenges. And I think one of our biggest challenges right now still is that perception. And when we have a project that comes through that might be a conditional use and it might have an affordable housing tag on it, the, the neighbors just need to be educated on what that actually means. Another big barrier I see right now is just overall development costs. And we've heard that a lot from the development community, that it's really expensive to build anything, let alone affordable housing. And I think really the answer to that is looking at infill sites. A lot of the, the building costs associated with new development, especially greenfield development, really 
stretch out the infrastructure to these sites and the the linear foot of building a street is really really high so if we look at infill sites that really already have a built-out street network i think it's more conducive to creating some affordable housing and i think that's an important step to addressing these barriers and affordable housing in in cheyenne and charles had mentioned that we we have made some strides in that area we do see some infill projects so it's definitely on our radar and I think we're well on our way to addressing some of these these four Ps. Well, that, a follow-up question I had for Charles when he mentioned the 400-unit apartment complex, is that going to be more affordable for people? Because I know some of, the, some of the developments that have gone in recently that I can think of off the top of my head have not been and are more on the, say, luxury side of things. So are these... A, apartments going to be on the more affordable side? Yes, Dan. There are, one of the complexes in that area will actually be market rate, so it probably will be a little, little higher. There are other ones that are proposed in that same region, in that same area, that are tax credit housing, so they might be geared towards folks making 80% of the AMI, the average median income, or 60%. So we're, we're seeing provision of, of different types of housing for different types of folks. So one of the problems we have seen in communities, and this doesn't exist just here in Cheyenne, is even if you, you do have housing, sometimes you're missing that housing for the young professional. Maybe that person who first got their salary job, where they, they're at a level that's just at the median income for the area, and they can't qualify for quality housing because it's, they, they, they pass those limits. So it's good to try to have that market rate housing come into the community, but there still is that need for that affordable component as well. Right. And I think a couple of things when, when you, you know, the, the, the perception of affordable housing is just that. And Mark made a great point of it's for various income levels. And, you know, and that is, that is true. I I'd heard a story of a uh, organization hiring a master electrician and so when you think about that salary, on average, that's anywhere between eighty-five dollars to $100,000 a year. They hired this electrician. He and his family came to Cheyenne, spent five, oh, was it five weeks, spent a long time, and finally turned down the job that he took because they couldn't find an affordable place to live. And so I think that's kind of the mindset of the perception that more public needs to be aware of. And, and uh, Brenda Burkle is great at saying instead of calling it affordable housing, we should be calling it wage-supported housing. So I think that that's something to think about as well. It is a great thought. I like that term. It's a great one. Going back to the topic of infill, one of the most exciting developments, in my opinion, that's currently happening in Cheyenne is the West Edge redevelopment. Charles, could you talk a little bit about the history of this project, how it came about, what's been done so far, and who are the major players involved in it? Uh, yes, definitely. Definitely, Hugh. The uh, West Edge, boy, it's an interesting area of town. Like other communities, Cheyenne had an area, still has an area, where it was underutilized former industrial buildings mixed with housing that had evolved over time. Back in 2011, 2010, during that time, the city was able to secure an EPA assessment grant to start investigating uh, 
brownfield redevelopment over there. So use the assessment grant to essentially give property owners the ability to have an environmental assessment done on their property or identify if there are any hazards and, and stuff like that on the property. Essentially, that's really where it was born because that assessment grant led into a whole bunch of additional uh, programs. In 2012, there was a specific purpose sales tax that was approved. A six penny is what we call it here because it's a six penny on your sales tax that basically committed to some public infrastructure improvements in the area to address some stormwater runoff issues. So that was starting to show some public investment in the area. People's eyes started perking up and said, we really need a plan. So with that, what happened is we started to move forward with a a plan called the West Edge Visionary Blueprint that was put together in 2014 and really gave an overview of the whole area, defined the neighborhood and said, hey, this is an area where we want to see a new type of development. We started looking around at different communities, what they have done. We've seen what Denver did with their brownfields on the edge of town, the River North District. And we said, hey, why can't that be here in Cheyenne? After the visionary blueprint was done, staff moved into the next level and they went ahead with something called the West Edge Area-Wide Plan in 2016, which this really started to set the tone of what's that district going to look like? What do we want to see? So that, that moved forward. And then in 2018, they came together again and put together the Reed Avenue Rail Corridor Plan. This was even more of a focused look at properties immediately adjacent to a Burlington Northern Rail Line that runs directly through the heart of the West End. This was looking at, well, how can we capitalize on this? What can we do? How can we make this change? How can we incorporate housing, restaurants, jobs? What can we do? And, and with that plan, we put together a certain level design drawings, about a 35% level design drawings for this plan that show what it could look like. That was early in 2018. I mean, late 2018 and 2019, when Mark joined us, I tasked Mark with creating a zoning overlay district, which could be applied to all properties within the West Edge. This was one of his first projects here at the city, and he knocked it out of the park. We sat down, after giving him direction, we sat down and put together a framework for an ordinance. Uh, we worked with community stakeholders. We worked with the Downtown Development Authority, visit Cheyenne with the chamber, with city officials, city departments, um, also with the Board of Public Utilities, and sought the input of the property owners as to what they wanted to see and what were viewed as obstacles in there. And we wrote an overlay district that, that we believe could help facilitate development in the future. So to remove the common obstacles that made people choose the, the green fields, the suburbs, the areas on the edge of town to develop. Right now, uh, that was recently adopted about three weeks ago, four weeks ago. Our next step is to rezone properties in the West Edge to that new zone district. Once that rezoning occurs, it's the regulatory element. Um, it would allow them to develop in accordance with these new rules. Some of the highlights of that new zone district, Mark uh, touched on in the last question, are we have encouraged adaptive reuse of buildings. We have removed parking restrictions because sometimes parking can be a problem to providing housing or businesses. 
We have also um, created incentives to allow for infill development and also uh, created avenues to allow for more predictability as to what could be built next door and what could happen to that potentially undesirable use that may exist next door today. But overall, it's exciting. It's been going on for over a decade. We're not done yet. Once the zoning is, is complete, it doesn't mean we're complete. We still need to continue to work with the property owners, work with the development community, and continue to tweak and re- reevaluate and tweak the uh, ordinances and the plans to make sure that we're continuing to go in the right direction. So you brought up the urban use overlay, which was adopted by the Cheyenne City Council on June 28th. 2021. And as you mentioned, Mark was one of the driving forces behind the overlay. So congratulations. And Mark, I was wondering if you could walk us through the process of what that project looked like, how you came up with the different elements of the overlay and arrived at what it looks like now. And how did you come up with the regulations involved in the urban use overlay? Yeah, thank you, Hugh, for the question. And the I really think that a lot of the, the driving force behind it is is good planning. I think it's really important. I always had a instructor in my graduate program that would say that zoning is not planning. He's like, really, in order to plan intentionally, you need to make the plan first. You don't just really zone your way out of a problem. You need to create the plan for it first and then follow that plan. So the framework that was laid in the 2014 and 2016 West Edge area-wide plans were really informative to how we wanted this zoning overlay to look. One of the driving forces, again, behind creating this district was that the idea of infill development and redevelopment. So we looked at a lot of what different communities had done to permit this infill development and redevelopment and also asked some of the people in the area, what are some of those things that are in the zoning code that make it really difficult for you to redevelop your property? And one of the examples that I would like to use is uh, the Westby Edge development, which will be a new brewery, hopefully coming towards the end of this year or maybe early next year. It's located right across from Civic Commons. So I know that Dan's going to be there quite often. (laughs) <laughs> but it's it's a great location, and but they they have an old warehouse that they they're planning to use, and that building is situated on the lot in a like right in the middle, and it's huge too, and it like is built to the property line on some other sides of it. So we we kind of looked at this as a case study. It's like okay, what things can we incorporate into this zoning code that would like let this development that everybody wants to see happen happen, and that was those requirements for reduced setbacks. And this was a big one that we really pushed for that reduced parking requirement. And, you know, when we we had parking requirements that required you to build X amount of off-street parking, it really eats up a lot of that lot that you could use for different uses and stuff like that. So we, we wanted to create this provision for adaptive reuse. So anybody that uses an existing building in the West Edge is exempt from some certain design requirements and that sort of thing. And then also having those properties be exempted from the other standards just really helps facilitate the redevelopment. Another thing that I would like to add on to this is just that the city, so we, we have the overlay adopted. 
So now what we need to do is rezone the area to mixed use business emphasis with that urban use overlay. And that is another step to make the, the process easier on the development community and try to incentivize development in the area. Because if we, if we didn't take this holistic zoning approach, then each individual property owner would have to take their own zoning application forward through the city, which would require them to hire a consultant to probably take it through planning commission and city council. And it just ends up being a, you know, three to six month process. So really using those plans as the basis for what we wanted to do, and then working with the property owners in the area to identify barriers is the route we took and hopefully it proves to be successful. Excellent. And I believe one of the financial tools, and correct me if I'm wrong in this, to fund the redevelopment is tax increment financing, which kind of relies on on the fact that property values will go up in the West Edge redevelopment. With that in mind, do you think there is potential for affordable housing within the West Edge District? And would you see NIMBYism as a potential barrier? Yeah, thanks for the question again, Hugh. So I really think that the West Edge would be a good location for affordable housing, especially if we can get a grocery store in here. That'd be awesome. But it it has kind of all the, it addresses a lot of the barriers that we've brought up with the four Ps. Um, It has a great location in town. It's close to a lot of goods and services. It is close to the current transit station. Hopefully we get some, we're currently doing a new transit system master plan. So hopefully that gets updated, but, and improves transit service. But the the West Edge is close to that transportation, close to goods and services. And one of the interesting things about the West Edge right now is a lot of the, the property, there's a lot of vacant properties and there's a lot of industrial properties that are kind of, they, they're still operating in the area, but we've there's several that have been looking towards other areas of the community too. So there's a lot of those areas opening up and with the opportunity for affordable housing to relocate in the area. I, I don't think there's really too much nimbyism just due to the, the lack of general residential properties in the area, but I also want to be intentional about hearing the voices that are in the area. Um, a lot of the West Edge area includes some of the single family homes that are located west of Snyder. And this is an affordable area within the community. The housing values, they're attainable for a lot of different income levels in the community. So I think it's important to, if we do have some concerns about development in the area to hear those people out. I think a lot of other areas that have seen cool redevelopment areas have kind of turn the cheek to gentrification and allowed gentrification to happen in a lot of these areas. So I think as we go through in the rezoning and planning of the area, it'll be important to hear those voices so we can ensure there's not a lot of displacement with those individuals that reside in the area currently. Mark, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because a lot of the times when you see you know, revitalization, there, there's a thin line between revitalization and gentrification. And so I think uh, I'm glad that you guys are already thinking about that and, and the, the concerns there as well. Definitely. It's, it's a really important issue. And it's something that's definitely been on our radar through the West Edge planning process. Staying with that theme of affordable housing, 
affordable housing has become an increasingly pressing issue for the city. It has been really nice to see Mayor Collins make it a priority with the creation of the Affordable Housing Task Force. I know Seth Lloyd from your office sits on the task force as well as our co-host, Dan Dorsch. Charles, what are some of the additional measures that the city is looking into or could theoretically take from a planning perspective to cultivate more affordable housing in Cheyenne? That's a great question, Hugh. And yes, Seth is doing a wonderful job sitting in on the Affordable Housing Task Force. I believe him and Dan have another meeting this week, which will be their second one. So all the problems should be solved really soon, right? <laughs> of course. No, it's, it's, it's going to take some steps. Something we really look at when it comes to affordable housing and, and steps to, to fix it is how do we lessen the cost for development? There's, there's a variety of elements that increase costs. Number one is the purchase price. We can't affect that. Someone's going to offer their land up for sale and it's going to be a price. So they're going to have to start working with that. Then they start having their material costs, wood, lumber, asphalt, pavement, employment, all labor, all of that, fuel to run the tractors, you know, those types of things. Again, that's another cost. And we, we can't affect that here. But what we can do is we can look at right-sizing our regulations to allow for better housing, where maybe the costs are less because you have to build less. One of the steps we took most recently for our multifamily development is we required that if you had, say, a 10-acre site and you wanted to build apartments on it, the most impervious area you could have on site, so this includes rooftops, uh, your sidewalks, your parking lot, any garages, you can only put up to 60% impervious area on your site. So 40% of it had to be grass and trees or shrubs. And that's what it had to be. What that resulted is an overwhelmingly large lot that you would have to develop perimeter roads on. So imagine having a, a thousand foot long lot. You're only able to really benefit uh, on 600 feet of that or 60%. That other 40%, that's additional water lines you have to run, additional sewer you have to run, that's additional storm sewer that has to be detained in the city, and that's additional curb gutter and sidewalk that the developer would have to build and the city would have to maintain. We worked through the city council just a few months ago and had that change to 80%, which is a lot more beneficial. So that will help lessen the cost for a lot of development. And we have tools internally so if you are doing an infill development in an area of town where it's developed, essentially on three sides, or you're redeveloping, we can reduce that in half. So we can take that 80% and drop it to 90% lot coverage so they can have more room to, to focus on creating those units. So that's one thing we've done on the multifamily side of things. Something we're working on right now and we're planning on taking to our planning commission in uh, the middle of August, that's right around the corner here, is we are looking at modifying something called our cottage lot provisions. And basically, there's a trend to allow for housing for single family or duplex or townhomes, townhouse development to be developed around a common green space, like a shared open space where you can have a sense of community. 
And then those can be accessed from the rear by alleys or other means. Right now, we had a cottage lot provision in our code that's been around since 2012. And right now, no one has ever used it. So without having anyone use it, it's obviously telling us that it's nothing desirable and it's something that is not working. So we're working on making amendments, partnered with the developer on this as well, to identify how we make this work, how we truly make this affordable. So that is um, going to enable people to subdivide land, plat land, and build housing that will ultimately be brought into private ownership. So give people the ability to purchase a home, start gaining equity, and move on. So we're hoping that'll be a success. Uh, we're really excited to see if we can get this text amendment adopted in the next upcoming months and to see how it will work with the developer when they try to actually utilize it. But so far, it's good. It's What we're looking at is, is how do we change the code to make it work? So the upfront cost isn't so much that hopefully it can be reflected in lower rental rates and lower costs for the end user. And, and Mark did a really good job and he, he touched base on the parking. Mark, if you want to expand on parking a little bit, you can sort of chat about how that works. Yeah, definitely, Charles. Thanks for sending it my way. As a planner, I always like to say that we require too much parking and talk about the high costs of parking as well. So on average, like just from research that I've done, it you know, it costs five to ten thousand dollars to construct a single surface, you know, parking space. And that's not structured parking. If you're talking structured parking, that cost goes up another ten thousand dollars. So if if we're requiring parking for affordable housing, but we're locating our affordable housing in places that have good proximity to the goods and services that they need, good access to transportation, why do we need to require that extra parking? And oftentimes, if if we're truly talking on the low AMI scale for affordable housing, a lot of those households can't afford to have multiple multiple vehicles anyway. So that that high cost of you know paving that parking spot is really detrimental to providing housing in the community. And Another thing about parking is all the space that it takes up to. A single parking space is approximately 200 square feet. I think the apartment I lived in by myself in Laramie when I was a junior was it was in Spanish Walk and it was like 650 square feet. So, you know, three parking spaces is a decent sized living unit, dwelling unit. So a lot of that space we're using for parking, a lot of those costs that go into parking are really detrimental to affordable housing, in my opinion. Yeah, so things we've done over the, the course of the years is with the urban use overlay district, got rid of parking. That's not an obstacle anymore. You can choose how many parking spaces you want based on your end user and your comfort level with what you're going to market. We also um, created a new zone district, which is envisioned to support the U.S. military. And again, that zone district was one in which we essentially said, developers, you pick your parking, you pick what works for you. So parking can be a detriment, but parking, should we be regulating it or should the market be? Right now, we think that the market should be. 
So, Mark, at that same city council meeting that was on June 28th, the council adopted another important resolution, and that was the creation of the Urban Renewal Authority. As I understand it, the resolution has origins in a study that you put together on the conditions of blight in Cheyenne. This looks specifically at the Hitching Post, the Reed Avenue Rail Corridor, and the Hins and the Hole site. How will the Urban Renewal Authority operate, and what are its plans for remediating blight in the city? Thanks, Kristen. And so really, the, the Urban Renewal Authority is one of the more exciting things that the, the city's been working on in the past few months. It's a really powerful tool to, you know, kind of fill that gap and bridge that gap between when a, a development is feasible and not feasible. So the first thing that we really had to do was find that there was blight in the community. And, and unfortunately, the term that state statutes use uses is blight. It's it's really hard to go to a property owner and say, hey, your property's blighted. Like it doesn't sound good. And there's there's a lot of concerns with that terms, but unfortunately the term is really a qualifier, as I would put it, when it comes to state statutes. So in order to be eligible for these redevelopment tools and redevelopment items that we have at our disposal, we have to determine that an area is blighted. So that's why we use that term and that's why we have used it in in the study and currently with the Hitching Post Urban Renewal Plan. So as Hugh alluded to earlier, the primary tool that the city envisions using with the Urban Renewal Authority is something called tax increment financing. And what tax increment financing does is it essentially freezes the property taxes on a property at the time when the urban renewal plan is adopted. And then so any increase in property taxes beyond that point can be used to pay for the financing for public improvements, environmental remediation, and that sort of thing in the project area. So what that means, and I think what it could potentially mean for affordable housing is we could help bridge that gap for development costs when an affordable housing project needs to make significant infrastructure improvements, whether that be to water lines, relocating utilities, building a road, doing other infrastructure improvements. The developer could essentially partner with the city to get a, a bond for those improvements up front, and then the tax increment could pay for the debt servicing for that project over the course of the TIF district, which you know might be 25 years. It's unclear the limit in state statute, what the, the term of an urban renewal project could be, but we, we have set the uh, hitching post plan to be approximately 25 years. The hitching post could be a cool catalyst site for the community seeing that redevelop. And with that project area, there's the potential for housing and even affordable housing in the area, according to the, the developer of the property. So that'll be really interesting to see how that shakes out. Um, we're kind of trailblazing with urban renewal and TIF in Wyoming. So if it works, it's going to be really cool. That's really exciting. Yeah, definitely. And it should work. It will work. I was going to say, let's change that if to when. When it works. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad the TIF was mentioned because it was something that I just learned about just this morning on a, a Habitat webinar in conjunction with federal funding and other funding avenues that some affiliates may not have in their 
revenue stream. And I've got it on my to-do list to look into more of that. So the fact that you guys have, are on top of it, that's amazing. Yeah, and this tip that we have right now, I mean, it's, it's designed to help remove the common obstacles we have heard towards redevelopment of that area. Those are costs associated with utility relocation, utility installation, public improvements like streets, curb gutter and sidewalk, and then abatement of environmental hazards. So that's what it's what it's there for. And we're looking forward to seeing how this one works and seeing what the next one could look like. But really the goal of a TIF, it's pretty wide open here in the community is to really look at something with a public benefit. And just tagging on to that, it's the way we set up the Urban Renewal Authority is that an urban renewal plan and project could be located anywhere within the community. And so there's there's potential for different TIFs in different areas. We talked about Reed Rail and the Hines in the Hole, and there's other areas in the community that really do meet the the definition of blight in state statutes. And we could use this this tool to revitalize some of our commercial strips and that sort of things too. So as we mentioned earlier, the importance of transportation and public transportation throughout Cheyenne and Wyoming is very important. Charles, what are some of the most exciting prospects coming out of Connect 2045, which was adopted last year as a new element to the community master plan? Are there any big obstacles in the way of making a more connected city? Well, there there are obstacles, definitely. You know, we are a a community of about 100,000 people, and we really spread out in different areas, so we're lacking that key component of density. Mark mentioned earlier we're doing a transit development master plan. What we're looking at is reevaluating how our system works right now. That is one of the goals that came out of the Connect 2045 plan, was we need to reevaluate where our buses are today, where they're going, is that efficient? Is that where they need to be? Or are we missing certain folks, certain populations, or certain areas of town? So one of the most important things that came out of Connect 2045 is they let us know we need to reevaluate our existing systems. But also the Connect 2045 plan also addressed new modes of transportation that 10, 15 years ago, people didn't even know existed. Those are things such as micromobility, like scooters. You may have seen those pop up in the community just a few weeks ago. Those scooters, those are the ability for people to get from their home to their work to figure out how to get through that first or last mile that might be limiting them from getting to the bus stop, might be limiting them from getting to the to their job, to childcare, those types of things. Well, I hope not childcare. I hope folks aren't riding scooters to childcare. I'll take that one back. <laughs> but anyway, um, no, what Connect 2045 really did is it looked at some alternative modes. It looked to double check and see, well, are we designing our streets adequately? Are our pedestrian networks adequate? Are there any changes in our zoning code that we could make to help facilitate transportation? They definitely had some recommendations. There's some recommendations we definitely need to follow. With Connect 2045, one of the other things that was evaluated is where do our future roads go? Where are missing connections? And we also prioritized where these connections need to be built or where these roads need to be improved. 
So that plan has essentially set a timeline as to where our major roadway improvements will occur. And one of the benefits of it being in our plan and being so active with the DOT and the city and the county, the stakeholders in the community, is we could really help identify and prioritize certain areas of town that might, might benefit from those improvements. These could be areas where it's ready for growth. Could be an area where growth should happen because services are always there. Here in Cheyenne, we're all familiar with it. North of the shopping center, there's a large vacant area of land. It's in the unincorporated county, and the only folks living there are cows. That area right now is is planned. It's called out in like 2045. It's having several new roads built there. There is a new 5-6 school that's proposed to be built there starting this fall. This plan evaluates how all those roads are going to connect. And it also um, establishes a priority of when those roads are constructed. And it also identifies which ones could be eligible for federal assistance. So we can utilize federal dollars to help offset some of the costs for those road and pedestrian path developments. So again, May 2045, exciting to update the different modes of transit, obstacles that still exist. We're so spread out, lack of density, uh, lack of ridership. But really, people just need to get out and I think we need to try our transit system and realize we have one. So in 2023 to 2025, the FE Warren base will begin upgrading its nuclear missile system. This update is expected to generate around 1,000 new jobs and provide a boost to the local economy. On the other hand, the city is already facing a housing shortage, and this rapid expansion may exacerbate the problem. What infrastructure changes will be needed to accommodate the missile upgrade influx? And what steps has your department taken thus far to plan for those changes? We're reacting. <laughs> no, everyone's talking about the uh, project at the base. And one of the things we created was something called the Support Services Zone District. This is a new zone district that is envisioned for something called the Enhanced Use Lease. Basically, it's a portion of the military base that was recently used last week as a park and ride for Cheyenne Frontier Days where they would like to construct a mixed-use development with housing and retail that sort of could become its own self-funded area that be on military property, but it'd be open to civilians. But it will also support the mission of the military and support their needs for having a place for people to live. So we drafted the zone district with the military in mind, and we put some of those those ideas about no about limited parking, no parking requirements, wide array of uses, we, we put those in the zone to allow it to happen, to see what would happen. So really from the direct base involvement, that's kind of where we've been. The city is working on grants to help assist with potential recreational amenities that might be needed in the community because of the effects of people. If more people come in the community, more people are going to be utilizing our recreational facilities. So it's important that we try to leverage some of our matching funds that we have to help provide these opportunities for our current residents and our future residents. 
And secondly, the, the biggest thing I, I, or third, final, the biggest thing I really think is important is we need to have a quality, well-trained staff that functions as a well-oiled machine that we can take in applications, we can bring in new developers and developments and walk them through the process quickly and efficiently without having major error. Right now, I, I believe that we are probably one of the easiest communities to have a development in, in the front range. If you're looking anywhere north of Denver, you want to come in to do a subdivision, it's going to take you years. You, you may have to secure water rights. You may have to go through all these public processes. It could take you years to get through the process. Here, if you have all your I's dotted and your T's crossed, you could be moving dirt in three to four months after having your first application. We can make that happen through our development process. So our goal is to continue to, to be there to, to welcome these folks in the town and to help guide them through the process and always evaluate any concerns or issues or headaches that we see and try to amend our regulations to make sure that we can fix those so we don't see them again. If you run into a problem, you never want to see that problem a second time. It's always best to say, hey, let's take care of this so this never happens again. Yeah, and I will just kind of piggyback on Charles a little bit. And I just, again, want to say like that the planning component, we, we know that this is coming and what we can do planning wise is look at locations for housing where places where we could see new housing in the community. And we, we have done that through the Connect 2045 future land use map update. We've designated some more areas as urban residential, which is our more dense residential component. The Connect 2045 plan also designates a lot of new areas for streets and what those new road classifications will be. And then again, just plug in some of the text amendments we're looking at. We're looking at allowing residential, multifamily residential in more of our zoning districts. So currently residential isn't allowed in community business and the community business zone district is more of the kind of strip development that you might see along Del Range, for instance. There's, there's opportunities along that corridor to integrate some, some multifamily housing. A lot of those big box stores don't need all the parking that they did once upon a time. So there's opportunities for subdividing off some of those spaces for housing. And then you get that bonus of having that proximity to goods and services. So there's, there's the big picture stuff that we can look at doing. And then also those targeted code amendments that can accomplish some of what Charles has been discussing too. I'd just like to add um, on that CV note that Mark was talking about, we do have a planner in our office who often jokes and says, I wish we could require housing with every commercial development. And that would be amazing if we could go back in time to when that used to be what happened. You had a storefront with housing above that gave people the opportunity to live and work in the same place. They didn't have to drive anywhere. They didn't have to park. I mean, just imagine how the land use patterns would be different today if that was a concept we kept from the early 1900s to today. But no, it's definitely interesting. We're definitely trying to figure out ways on how to add housing into our community because that is very important. And it always is a bummer when you tell someone 
you're not zoned appropriately for an apartment or a house. And you look down the street and the neighbors have an apartment or a house above their storefront. Well, I think that just about wraps us up for today. Charles and Mark, thank you so much for your time. It's been great chatting with you. And although I'm leaving Cheyenne in the next month, look forward to coming back and visiting in the coming years and seeing all the changes that are going to be happening in the city and maybe a totally new new place, but I'm excited for it. Yeah, I just want to say thank you, Hugh. And I want to just give a shout out to Hugh and Kristen for doing AmeriCorps. AmeriCorps is a great professional experience, and it's really not always easy. So I really commend you guys for doing AmeriCorps and contributing to our community and, you know, making Cheyenne home for a year. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, thank you. I echo that. I think it's amazing. Thank you. And Dan, thanks for for keeping them so involved. Yeah, I I try. (laughs) Well... That about wraps up the podcast for today. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in and be sure to make the magic happen in your community.